This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. James Cameron's science fiction epic Avatar is the highest grossing movie of all time. But it took 13 years to get a sequel into theaters. Now we're finally able to see it. Was it worth the wait? I'm Stephen Thompson. Today we are talking about Avatar The Way of Water on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Joining me today is Switched On Pop producer Rihanna Cruz. Welcome. Howdy, Stephen. Also with us is writer and James Cameron superfan Chris Klimek. Hey, Chris. Uh, I was born of the sky people, but now I am Navi, Stephen. I see you, Stephen Thompson. I see you too, buddy. (laughs) So glad you're both here. So the original Avatar came out in 2009 with groundbreaking special effects and a massive budget. It ended up grossing nearly $3 billion in worldwide box office. So it's only natural that it would spawn a sequel. In fact, there are four confirmed Avatar sequels, the first of which is Avatar The Way of Water. Naturally, this film is set quite a few years after the events of the first Avatar. Sam Worthington plays hero and military man Jake Sully. In the first film, he's brought in to help colonize a lush Earth-like moon called Pandora. Mean military types from Earth are trying to displace the indigenous population as part of a lucrative mining operation, so they send human soldiers, including Jake, in disguise using high-tech avatars. The idea is that they can help blend with the locals who are known as the Na'vi. Spoiler alert for those who haven't seen the first avatar, that military operation ends up failing, in part because Jake grows to form a serious bond with the Navi. He falls in love with the heroic warrior Neytiri, played by Zoe Saldana. The film ends with Jake being permanently transformed from human to Navi, using methods so complicated I cannot begin to address them here. In Avatar The Way of Water, Jake and Neytiri have children of their own. The bad guys are back in search of revenge as part of a mission to conquer the Navi and extract still more resources. Jake and Neytiri are on the run with their family. They join a tribe that's heavily oriented toward the water, and the family has to adjust to unfamiliar surroundings. Like the first Avatar movie, this one is directed by James Cameron. Avatar The Way of Water is in theaters now. Rihanna Cruz, I'm going to start with you. What is your relationship with the Avatar franchise? And what did you think of Avatar The Way of Water? Oh, man, dude, what is there to say to every Avatar skeptic out there? You never bet against James Cameron. You never do. I was absolutely blown away, jaw on the floor for the entire three hours. And I think my relationship with Avatar comes at more of a Gen Z sort of like ironic standpoint where like, I hadn't seen Avatar in theaters when I was younger, and over the past few years, I've sort of been wrapped up in these conversations of Avatar and movie making, and what place does Avatar have in the cultural canon, and sort of over time, it's become a sort of joke where it's like, oh, like, blue people, Avatar, ha ha ha. But I think going into this movie, I realized at a point in time, I I was genuinely excited for Avatar 2. Like, it transcended jokes. It was an incredible movie that I was really excited for. You know, maybe my most anticipated movie of the decade thus far. 
when the movie was over, I <laughs> sat back and I told my friends, I was like, it felt like I was being unplugged from the Matrix. <laughs> like, I, I felt like I was <laughs> immersed in this world for over three hours and then it ended. And top 10 saddest moments, as I saw in a letterbox review, was being removed from Pandora <laughs> and having to walk out <laughs> of AMC Burbank <laughs> in the middle of Los Angeles and be like, damn, that truly was a singular experience. So you liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I did like it. I did like it. I think it's it's a movie that the the plot left me a little wanting at times, but I, I think any concerns that I had in the theater were immediately blown away because I was like, oh, that's another sea animal that I've never seen before come pass, and it really enthralled me. All right. You come down pro. Chris Klimek, mm -hmm. you're a fan, to put yeah. it mildly. Court-appointed attorney, yes. Um, <laughs> you know, whenever he gets in front of a podium and says something. Okay, Stephen, first of all, I want to preface this by saying, as, as you noted in your introduction, because Avatar predated your own fine podcast, I have been waiting this long to sit across from you, having ingested a three and a half hour tech heavy sci-fi spectacle with very few jokes. <laughs> Jim Cameron does not really do jokes so that you could tell me how much you hated it. I'm trying to keep the slobber off of my, my microphone because I'm fairly salivating to talk about this. Um, you know, what a year for the return of just fully experiential movie going. Top Gun Maverick was a, a you know, featherweight and deeply satisfying experience. And this is, uh, well, not entirely featherweight. I mean, there, there was like a broad emotional element to that, but certainly not specific enough to really exclude anyone, which is clearly by design. And that is the James Cameron ethos writ large. You know, I mean, he is a broad filmmaker, to put it mildly. And I don't mean that as any kind of a diss. There is a reason why his movies make bank in every country of the world that shows movies. Um, I like to put everything on like a movie release time code. And the like the gap of time between this and the first Avatar is only three years shorter than the gap of time between Return of the Jedi and The Phantom Menace when we got this wow. whole new series of, of Star Wars prequels. So I'm thinking like, you know, in the run up to this movie, which had been announced in 2010 and then, you know, delayed and delayed and delayed, is James Cameron going to go full George Lucas? <laughs> By which <laughs> I mean, is he going to become so uh, enamored of the technological possibilities that he is developing, that his narrative sense, his sense for characterization will just totally abandon him. And he has not. And, and even though obviously Cameron is uh, deploying technological innovations made for this movie, I mean, the, just the evolution in tech between this and the first Avatar is fairly staggering. And I'm sure we're going to talk about all the underwater photography and, and uh, this movie is a little bit weirdly paced mm -hmm. for as long as it is. I think where it speeds up and slows down just in terms of advancing plot points is a little wonky to me. But how can you complain? I mean, it's just such an immersive um, sensory experience and emotional experience. Like, I, I can't imagine anyone who is notionally open to this is going to walk out and say, like, well, that was a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, I'm fascinated that you've been waiting for me to come and dump on this movie. Like, <laughs> I, I really have. You know, I, do I, I have a reputation of... as, a, as a particularly bitter 
a negative person. You know, I, I always feel like, a, a, you know, over the years talking about big blockbusters on this show that like I want something a little more intense, something that's going to beat me up a little bit. <laughs> and and certainly like the, the reason the Marvel movies have been so successful is I think they, you know, they're made to invite in that audience. You know, there's still jokes, you know, there's still points of, of entry. And um, and like I said, I mean, Cameron does not do jokes, you know, <laughs> when he he tries, it, it doesn't really work, you know, but these films just just remain accessible, I think, because he is really for such a techie guy, he, he's a he's a real earnest, heart on a sleeve kind of guy. And I mean, this is this is a a family movie. He talked about how his inspiration for this was watching, you know, all of the many Marvel movies, the whole superhero cinema movement that has sprang up in the interval between avatars. And he was watching these movies and thinking, well, what if any of these heroes had kids? You know, and and I mean, how much of this movie is uh, you know Jake and Natiri disciplining their kids? You know, trying to get them to act responsibly, worrying about them. Those scenes give it some real emotional resonance, much more than the first Avatar had, I think. But um, I mean, he is a hard on his sleeve kind of guy, is is old old Jim. Yeah, I think that's part of what worked for me about this film. I, I My history of, of Avatar dates back roughly 72 hours. Um, <laughs> because I did not see it in 2009. I didn't have a pop culture podcast. And it looked super bloated. And the screenings were sold out. And by the time I had a chance to see it, I just didn't care that much. You know, that's kind of embarrassing. It was a kind of an embarrassing blind spot in my recent film watching history. And so I rectified that. Streamed the, the first one on Disney+. Plus. Not exactly exactly the way Cameron intended. Um, and I, I liked it. I liked it fine. I, I think my main beefs with it, I agree that the the kind of portentous humorlessness of it wore on me a little bit. It's very heavy. Yeah. It's a heavy movie and it's, it's heavy handed. Right. Um, I found some of its relationship with indigenous characters felt a little condescending to me. I thought the script was really weak and I thought the effects, which were so impressive in 2009 look like video games in 2022. And my takeaway watching Avatar The Way of Water is, first of all, video games in 2035 are going to be amazing (laughs) (laughs) because this thing is glorious to look at. Mm -hmm. This movie irons out a lot of the problems with the first film's script. I think Cameron clearly collaborated on this script. I think this is a sharper script. It looks absolutely breathtaking. As soon as this movie goes underwater, I found myself feeling like having emotional reactions just to the beauty that I was seeing on the screen. And that is a really, really high compliment. Uh, It's gorgeous to look at. There is certainly a great deal of lore, as with any cinematic universe. You know, like you kind of suggested, Chris, he makes it digestible. He knows how to appeal to the broadest possible audience. And he does that throughout this film. And and so for me, it's it's a marked improvement over the first one, which I think is good. It really is the kind of movie where if you're hesitant to get back to the multiplex, it's something that you really, really benefit from seeing on the biggest possible screen. In, in terms of his interest as a storyteller, he makes yarns. You know, he is just trying to make movies that that he would have wanted to spray paint on the side of his van when he was going to Fullerton Community <laughs> College in, in the 70s. And, you know, I think that's one reason people will, will really embrace it again. Yeah, I mean... I think part of why Avatar works and it works with so many people is because the story is 
universal. When the first one came out, I was, you know, I was a child, <laughs> literally. Even though I didn't see it in theaters, I got the general gist of it where it was like a war movie about colonization, you know, in whatever way you understand that as a child. And when I was watching this one, I, I was thinking about it and I was like, there's a lot of lore and there's a lot of intricacies in terms of, you know, the indigenous population and the, you know, sky people coming in. But at the end of the day, it's a movie that children can understand and children can digest because it's people in peril being attacked by an outside force. If you take everything out of it at its core, it's a war movie. And that's what connects with people because it's somebody in peril that we sympathize with and then somebody we don't sympathize with attacking the other. When I got out of the theater last night, I was thinking of an episode of the show How To with John Wilson and he goes to an Avatar fan group <laughs> at a point and it's these people, this is before the second one you know, has come out um, and they're these people 10 years after the movie, they're all like kikiing about Avatar, you know, and talking in, in Navi. And there's a point where they talk about the movie and specifically how the film, when it was over, put them in a deep depression because real life is so much worse than life on Pandora <laughs> and nothing is even remotely as beautiful after I got out of Way of Water, I was thinking about that because I, I was so swept away for a moment that I understood, you know, as they say in the movie, I see you. <laughs> that's, that's what I got um, from that. And I think that connection with beauty and, and things that are ephemeral, we don't get that outside of, you know, things that we're watching. And we don't get that really outside of the Avatar universe. So it, it makes sense. And it highlights the sort of universality that Cameron is is pursuing. We are all Nicole Kidman <laughs> sitting in the theater staring <laughs> wide-eyed. Oh, absolutely. Me with my AMCA list where I see that like twice a week. Yep. <laughs> That's me. Sometimes or somehow heartbreak feels good in a place like this. Me watching Avatar Way of Water. Yeah, I mean, the paradox for me here is this. As much as I, I love James Cameron and I, I love this movie, like I don't want this kind of experience to be the future of movies. Mm. And I don't want this increasingly mediated virtual immersion to be the future of human life. Life. Like the uh, sort of the ready player one future where mm. people spend as much time plugged in as possible because real life on planet Earth sucks. Um, but I mean, again, I feel like this is the, the paradox of James Cameron is he makes these super techie advanced movies that have basically anti-tech homilies at mm. their core. <laughs> you know, he makes yeah. these super violent pacifist movies. <laughs> and like that, I mean, that contradiction is is what makes me love him, I think. Yeah, I get that. I mean, I did want to sort of get to how did you feel that this film, if you assuming you do, like how did you feel that this movie kind of upgraded the first one? I mean, you have it, it is a there are significantly more characters in this film. Mm. There are kids and the kind of the people who are attached to them. We meet a new tribe. Kate Winslet is, is has been added to the cast, which you wouldn't necessarily know until you get to the closing credits if you didn't. <laughs> yeah, if you, I saw her in the credits and I was like, Kate Winslet? What? <laughs> but, what, but what did you think of these new characters, Rihanna? I like them. I, I think I don't go into an Avatar movie for the characters necessarily. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I thought it was great. Um, I thought the new characters sort of fulfilled the sequel need of like introducing 
new elements to keep the story interesting. Mm -hmm. And I found it really interesting that the sort of water tribe was similar to the idea of like the Wakanda forever water tribe. Mm -hmm. It it felt very like sequel of vibes, just like bring in somebody that's different, but you guys are actually more similar than you thought, you know? Yeah, I I liked it. I liked the characters. It, It kept me invested enough to tether together all the beautiful visuals. I walked out of Wakanda Forever 2 going, wow, boy, I bet Jim Cameron is pissed off that so much of this involves a race of blue people living underwater. But it is a, (laughs) that's totally invalid because you see this movie and you realize that like this is a standard of spectacle and uh, artificial reality generation that the Marvel movies are just not competing on that level. I mean, no one, no one else is because again, the way that they're like, you know, they are kind of on rails and like they are going to make their schedules no matter what. And the reason that this movie has been delayed so many times, I mean, yes, part of it was the pandemic, but um, as Cameron has said many times, he's like, eh, the scripts just weren't ready. You know, I'm not sure who else besides James Cameron can get away with that. <laughs> just telling Disney like, ah, it'll be done when it's done. But yeah. that's what he did. <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah. I mean, this, this is as, uh, as Avatar was in 2009, this has now displaced Avatar 09 as the ultimate James Cameron movie trademark. And whether you, you think that's for you or whether you're sure that's not for you, you are correct. I think that about sums it up. I recommend seeing it on a, on a big screen. Do not watch it on, uh, <laughs> on your Apple watch on a plane. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> you're going to want to, you're not going to get it if, if you don't see it in the theaters, which feels kind of corny to say, but same, I, I think before when we talked about Top Gun Maverick, that's an apt comparison. Yeah. I mean, that cliche is a cliche for a reason. All right. Well, we want to know what you think about Avatar The Way of Water. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH. Up next, what is making us happy this week? This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, A People's History, from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, executive producer of Insecure, Black Twitter, A People's History, tells the story of how black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. Now it's time for our favorite segment of this week and every week. What is making us happy this week? Rihanna Cruz, what's making you happy this week? Well, lately as the year wraps up, I, I tend to take stock of my listening habits. You know, we, we see superlatives everywhere. There's a Spotify rap. But rather than fixating on my Spotify Wrapped, for example, I've been enjoying the app Shazam. Mm-hmm. So like yesterday, I made a playlist of all the songs I Shazam throughout the year. That's a good idea. And you can see where my interest lies. I think it's really fascinating because there's sections where I'm like, oh, I was in Europe this section. I'm only getting bachata songs and, you know, <laughs> French, like, you know, French pop. Um, it, it's really nice. And, and it 
helps me, who's very music superlative, you know, list minded brain where I'm like, I want to keep track of my listening habits. Mm -hmm. This is not an ad for Shazam, but (laughs) I really enjoy using the app. And I think it's cool to look back on at the end of the year. That's a great idea. That's a great idea for a playlist. Thank you, Rihanna Cruz. Chris Klimek, what's making you happy this week? Uh, Well, Stephen, tis the season for shameless self-promotion. So uh, I want to tell everyone that the 17th mind-boggling installment of my annual holiday mixtape. Oh my gosh. This year's installment is called The Airborne Yuletide Event. Is now uh, <laughs> posted at chrisclemick.net for your uh, listening pleasure to obfuscate and, and illuminate your, your Yuletide. Uh, you, you know the, the rationale for this. I mean, I like Christmas songs that are timeless and classic and just generally good, but I love Christmas songs that are, uh, you know, that, that were naturally selected for extinction, you know, about five minutes after they were recorded. And I want to play one that I, that I found for this year's tape. Um, this is called uh, Things Fall Apart by Christina. Yes. Let's just hear it and then you tell me, Stephen, what year this was recorded in. (laughs) My boyfriend said it's really sweet the way you go for Christmas cheer. I said we can't afford the tree. He said love is free. So we trimmed the cactus with my earrings that we'd meant to pawn. There wasn't any snow, but there was rain. I'm going to guess it's more recent than this because it seems to be synthesizing uh, influences, but it sounds like 1982. I think you nailed it. It's either 82 or 81. I I knew you'd nail it, Steve. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm going to combine your two happies in a sense. I'm going to combine music list making and self-promotion. By mentioning NPR Music's year-end best of, best songs of the year, best albums of the year, both of those lists dropped this week at NPR Music at nprmusic.org. It is a, such a great opportunity to go back and discover records that you haven't heard. I I really can pretty much guarantee you, know, no matter how immersed you have been in music in 2022, you're going to hear something that you haven't heard before. It really is worth taking some time with those lists to discover new music It's one of the best part of list-making seasons. It's not to argue about what was best. It's about to discover what we didn't hear in the spirit of what may be a discovery for some people. I was just talking to a friend this week who had never heard of the great Belgian singer Strome. And and my immediate thought was, well, you're going to love the Belgian singer Strome, (laughs) which I thought specifically because everybody would love the Belgian singer Strome. Oh, to listen to Strome for the first time. That is an experience that I wish I could remember and re-experience. Right, exactly. Well, Strome put out a fantastic record in 2022 called Multitude. Uh, He just performed a Tiny Desk concert, which is fantastic. Let's hear a little bit of his song, Mon Amour. So that's Strome uh, from his album Multitude, one of the 50 best albums. I mean, I think it's one of the 10 best albums of 2022. Uh, Really fantastic. Check out his Tiny Desk concert. Check out the best songs of the year. Check out the best albums of the year. This is such a fun time to discover new music. That's all at nprmusic.org. And that is what is making me happy this week. If you want links for what we recommended, plus some more recommendations, sign up for our newsletter at npr.org 
www.bloomberg.org slash newsletter. That brings us to the end of our show. Rihanna Cruz, Chris Klimek, thanks to both of you for being here. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks for having us, Stephen. Always enjoy talking about Avatar. The Way of Water, what is it? Has no no beginning and has no end? That's not it, is it? It's something like that. Exactly. The that, sea that is in like you yeah. and, and around you before your birth and, and after your death. <laughs> is the longest outro ever. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Let's just, let's stretch it out a little longer. This episode was produced by Hafsa Fathima and edited by Jessica Reedy. Hello Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Stephen Thompson, and we will see you all next week. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com slash NPR. In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts.